0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online
1: at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message.
0: Uh, my name is Ron, for those of you who are brand new to our church. And uh, I was just thinking this morning as I was praying about what we were about to do, I was thinking of a story that Jesus told one time. He said, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a giant net, that was thrown into the ocean, and then it was drawn in, and it had all kinds of fish in it. And I don't know what the people of his day might have thought about that, but as I read that story, here's what it reminds me of. In our audience every Sunday, there are people who are brand new, who have literally never been here before. And I want to say a welcome to you. Thank you for taking a step of faith and courage and walking into a place that you've never been before. In our audience, there are always people who are not yet followers of Jesus, but they're checking it out. Not sure, maybe even if they believe in God, that's okay. This is a great place to come. We're not going to assume that you believe in God. We're going to assume that you're interested in the spiritual part of your being and that part of the reason that you're here is to investigate if there is a God and if there's something that can be done with the spiritual side that we all have. In our audience, there are always people who are sort of brand new followers of Jesus and just learning how to take those first steps And in our audience, there are people who have walked with Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years and more. And the amazing thing is when we get together, we become this kingdom of God that Jesus talked about. And the great thing is God's okay with all of us right where we are. He meets us right here, meets us right where we are. And my prayer is this morning that no matter where you fit on that continuum, that God will speak to you about what your next step would be. And you'll see how important that is when we get to the end of the teaching this morning. So for the next few minutes, I'm going to be doing that. I do have a couple of announcements to make to to let you know what's going on in our church. And uh, one is uh, we have some new, what we call growth courses that we're starting. If you want to grow your faith, Or if you want to take a look at the basics of Christianity and figure out, is that something I can get on board with? Does that seem healthy and whole and right to me? We have a course that will be starting uh, the week of January the 23rd. Um, It's called Exploring Faith, and it will take place right after our service is dismissed that morning. Uh, You can go to the information desk and sign up for that. There's a number of ways. You can go to our website on our church app. Um, Believe it or not, this is the 21st century. We can do that stuff now. So um, if you're looking for it, it's out there in all sorts of different places. We're also on the 26th of January starting a course called Finding God in His Names. Did you know that there are more than 15 different names that are applied to God in the Bible. A handful he calls himself. And the majority of those are names, I would call them terms of endearment that people who got to know God began to call him that. Uh, And so you get to borrow the experience of other people in their faith journey. That course is taught by Gordon McGee. And Gordon, I know you're here, right over here, would you? Stand up so people can come and talk to you if they want to take that course. There you go. Give Gordon a hand. Gordon is a wonderful guy. He is a deep, deep student of the Bible, and he has walked with Jesus for probably four decades or more, and um, one of my favorite people. So there are those two things I also want to point out uh, and invite you to consider actually giving to the church today. Uh, Like all other churches, we rely, we don't get government grants or any of those things. We rely totally on the donations of people who come here and who value this ministry. There are some boxes in the back with some envelopes. If you're old school, want to write out a check or put in cash, you can do that. Um, You can go to our our website or our church app and you can give online. You can even automate your giving like uh, my wife and I do. Um, But I want to invite you to consider that because it's through your donations that we are able to do uh, all the things that we are able to do. And one of the things we recently did is we had a, a tree out in our lobby during the Christmas season called the Giving Tree, and we are raising money toward a house that in June we're going to build for a homeless family in Mexico that's, currently being vetted and um, they will be a family in definite need. And there are so many stories around this sort of thing that we'll get into later in the year. Uh, But I just want to say through your generosity uh, during the Christmas season, we were able to raise uh, a little over $3,000 toward that house. So yes, well done. So having said all of that, let's jump into our teaching for the day. Now, we're in a teaching series called Heroes, Finding Hope from Those Who Have Gone Before Us. And in specific, there is an ancient manuscript that's in your Bible. It's it's called, uh, we commonly call it the book of Daniel. And the first six chapters of that book chronicle and document the events in the lives of some young Jewish um, Worshippers of God, and they encounter impossible and insurmountable challenges that that stagger the mind, and yet through it all, they not only survive they thrive, and so we're going to look at their lives and figure out what it is that they did that enabled them to have that kind of faith. And last week we opened this series, and we learned that that there were there was a basic mindset that all of them had, and you could wrap it up in three short statements. Let take let's take a look at the video screens, and the first is life is hard. Any amens to that? Yeah, life is hard. Can can I tell you just for the sake of expectation? Okay. We do so many things to try to keep this place safe for you. We have large HEPA air filters in the back that recycle the air about every 10 minutes in this room. We fog the chairs. We we do all these things because we want you to be safe. And yet, the experts are telling us this Omicron variant is so contagious that in the next 8 to 10 weeks, one out of every five Americans is going to be diagnosed with COVID. That's big, isn't it? Now, thankfully, it's not quite as deadly as its former variants. But you know what? It just means that when we get a chance to be here, we are blessed, right? Yeah, because we're not diagnosed with COVID yet. And so life is hard. It's filled with struggle. But the second thing that they had in mind was not only was life not easy, but it was challenging, but God was at work. Even when they couldn't see it, they believed God was at work. And the third thing that they believed was no matter what they encountered, God was bigger. That there was nothing that they would encounter where God would sit on his throne and go, oh man, I didn't see that coming. I don't know what to do. No, God's bigger. Nothing in this world presents a serious challenge to God. God's always bigger, and not just kind of bigger, way bigger. And and these heroes lived with those three things in mind. So today, we're going to jump into the first chapter of the book of Daniel, and we're going to take a look at a story, and I'll move through the story relatively quickly, we'll, we'll, we'll highlight some nuggets here and there, and then at the end we'll get to the actual application. So here's how the story begins. Now it happened during the third year of King Jehoiakim. King Jehoiakim was king of the nation of Judah or Israel, as it's sometimes called. So in the third year of his reign, the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched against him and laid siege to Jerusalem, its capital. Now, it's easy for us to read that and just breeze right on by. Okay? We are in the 22nd month of the pandemic. Okay? We have supply chain issues. Have you noticed? When Nebuchadnezzar came and laid siege, he put his army all around the city and he allowed nothing and no one to enter the city or go out. You talk about supply chain problems. And the idea was the army was going to stay there until everyone inside the city walls either starved to death or they came out and surrendered. He literally cut off their supply chain. History tells us this siege lasted for 30 months. I want you to imagine being locked inside the city of Petaluma and no supply trucks are allowed allowed in or out. No trains, no airplanes, nothing. The whole city is locked down and it's locked down for 30 months. We would still have
1: eight more months to go. It was hard. It was tough. Okay, let's see what happens.
0: The Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory and allowed him to take King Jehoiakim of Judah as his prisoner. Well, now no one saw that coming. The Jews, the citizens of the nation of Israel, had this firm belief that they were God's chosen people. And they actually were, they they were. But they took that with a great sense of entitlement. And that is because they were God's chosen people. Nothing bad could ever happen to them. And unfortunately, sometimes if you turn on your TV and you turn into certain religious programs, they will kind of teach you the same thing today. That if you choose to follow Jesus, that you are God's chosen people. And when you do that, Nothing but God's favor will come into your life. Well, I want to tell you, God's for you. But life does not work that simplistically. Okay? The problem was the nation of Israel had forsaken the worship of God and they had taken up the worship of idols and they had abandoned their temple and they had desecrated their temple where God said, I'll put my presence. And God took that only about so long and eventually God said, you know what? I'm actually going to withdraw my favor temporarily as a wake-up call. So he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to have the victory. He allowed King Jehoiakim to be taken as his prisoner. And at the same time, (laughs) he permitted the Babylonian king to rob God's temple of some of its sacred objects or vessels. Why would he do that? Because back in that day, everybody had a God that they believed in. There were no atheists. Everybody had a God. And the belief was that when you went to war, if your God was bigger than the God of the people you fought, you won. And if you lost, their God was bigger than yours. So when Nebuchadnezzar won, one of the things he wanted to do is he wanted to take all these gold and silver objects out of the temple of the nation of Israel and take them back to Babylon for two reasons. Number one, as trophies, that his God was bigger than the God of Israel. And number two, he didn't want the people of Israel to ever be able to go back and worship the God that they used to worship. So he basically disabled them from being able to do that. But that's not where the story ends either. And carry them away to Babylon called Shinar, (coughs) which was the land between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. For those of you who love geography, that's the Fertile Crescent, really. That's the eastern end and the northern part of the Fertile Crescent. And to fill the treasury of his own gods, Marduk and Nebo. They were trophies for his gods. But it wasn't just these things that he stole and the king. Let's go ahead and read the rest of the story. After the king returned home, he commanded Ashpenaz, chief of the royal eunuchs, to bring some of the Israelites who had been taken captive to the palace well, let's just not breeze right past that. Um, At the risk of too much information, here's how Nebuchadnezzar took people from the nation of Israel and took them 550 miles away to Babylon. So just so you get the idea, 550 miles is pretty much the exact distance between Petaluma and San Diego. So he put them in a human Daisy chain. Chain this one to this one and this one to this one and this one to this one. And he said, march. And you're going to march 550 miles. And by the way, there's no real good highways at that time. You're marching through the desert. And the king would give you just barely enough to keep you alive. And if you didn't make it, they simply cut you out of the chain and kept moving and by the time the people got to babylon <clears throat> they were malnourished they were probably greatly dehydrated and their spirits almost for sure were broken that was part of the deal the king wanted to literally break the spirit of every jew and the only people left in the land were the poorest and those who had no leaders so that they can never rise up and rebel. So that's the setting in which our story takes place. And the king says to the guy that that kind of rules his palace and administrates the palace, he said, hey, I know that a bunch of those people from Israel just arrived. I want you to go through and I want you to find the members of their royal family, people that have some possibility of leadership, and." And I want to do something special with them. So now let's pick up the story there. He was looking for potential candidates from the exiles to serve in his court, fit young men with no physical or moral infirmities. I wonder how he judged that. I don't know. Moving on. Um, Handsome, skilled in all wisdom and knowledge, discerning and understanding. Would you say that's a creme de la creme? Yeah. He goes, we're going to take the very best and that's it. And then let's read what he wants to do with them. Those selected would be be taught the language and literature of the Chaldeans, the people who lived in Babylonia. As part of their assimilation into Babylonian court life, the king offered them a daily portion of food and wine from his own table. Let's see how that turns out. They were to be educated for three three years before serving in the king's court. And from among Judah's exiles, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were selected. And those are the names of our four heroes for the morning. Now, what the king is doing is he's putting them in an immersive culture of Babylonian History and thought. So, the idea behind the king is if we can take these Jewish people with talent and we can sort of brainwash them, put them through three years of intensive and immersive Babylonian culture, they will forget that they're Jews and they will become Babylonians by thought and by culture.
1: And then we can use them. Okay. Uh, By the way, if you study history,
0: that strategy is still used today. I won't even get into that, but it's really interesting about trying to separate people from their culture. That's what he was doing. Let's see how the story unfolds. Ashpenaz, chief of the royal eunuchs, (coughs) gave them Babylonian names to signify their new identities. Thank you. To signify their new identities in a foreign place. This is part of Babylonianizing them. Can you realize I just made up that word? All right. Daniel, he renamed Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he renamed Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And every one of those names uh, was a name like Belteshazzar means the protector of the king. So Daniel, that's your job. Uh, Shadrach meant uh, servant of the moon god. Every one of those names literally put them in a place subservient to the Babylonian ruling king or one of their
1: gods. All right, let's go on in the story. Although
0: the king ate only the finest Babylonian fare, Daniel was determined not to violate God's law and defile himself by eating the food and drinking the wine that came from the king's table. So let's stop right there. What was wrong with that food from Daniel's standpoint? There were two things wrong with it. Number one... All the food that was brought before the king, before it was brought before the king, it was offered to the king's idol in worship. And Daniel took a look look at that and said, you know what? I know it's just food, but I'm going to hang on to my Jewish identity. And one of the ways I'm going to do that is I'm I'm not going to do anything that actually connects me with the gods of these Babylonians. So I'm not going to eat food that has been offered to their God. The second problem with that is when God set up the nation of Israel, He gave them a very strict dietary regimen that you and I today call call kosher foods. For instance, when it came to meat, (coughs) they could eat the meat only from animals that had a split hoof. So they had to have a hoof And it had to be split, not like a camel's hoof, which isn't split. And the the animals had to actually ruminate or chew a cud. So they could eat cattle and sheep and deer and goats. But uh, most other kinds of meats they couldn't eat. Daniel knew that the Babylonian king ate all kinds of meats. Furthermore, Israelites didn't eat any seafood that didn't have scales. That was all sorts of things that God had set up. And Daniel looked at the food that was going to be given to him and he realized that a large portion of it was not going to be kosher. And he that was part of being a Jew. That was part of being an Israelite. And that's why Daniel determined he would not violate God's law. Other translations say he determined he would not defile himself. Now, you know what I find interesting? Here's a little nugget in here. Our four heroes are Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But in this verse, it's Daniel who makes the decision. He makes a decision to actually go against the king's command. And because Daniel had the courage, his influence evidently spread to his three friends. And they all decided to do this together. Now, watch how this story unfolds. It goes on to say, so Ashpenaz, I mean, so Daniel asked the chief of the royal eunuchs for permission not to eat that food. (coughs) Let's see what the response is. Oh, before we get to that, look at this little insert in the text. And it's right there in your Bible. Now, God had given Daniel special favor and fondness in the eyes of the king's chief eunuch. What did we learn last week? Life is hard. What was the second statement? But God is what? At work. Daniel didn't know it. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah didn't know it. They couldn't see any evidence of it, but God was already at work in that God was giving this, this Ashpenaz guy great favor toward Daniel. Going on, let's see what his response is. <coughs> Still, Ashpenaz was concerned. Belteshazzar, notice he didn't call him Daniel. <laughs> Belteshazzar, your request puts me in a difficult position. I'm afraid of what my Lord, the king might do. He has ordered that you are to eat the food and drink the wine prepared for his table.
1: Reading on. What will happen if he sees you
0: and your friends over time in poorer health than the other young men your own age? I am certain he will what? have my head. The stakes are high. And this guy realizes his life is on the line. Now, if we just put a pin in the story right there, Daniel has this firm belief that life is hard, but he also has this firm belief that God's at work. Right now, at this point in the story, does it appear that God's at work? No, their king has been taken captive They've marched 550 miles in terrible conditions. They finally reached the land where they're going to live in captivity. And just when he thinks God's at work and Daniel gets elected with his friends to be trained to be in the king's
1: court, the hammer comes down, eat this food. Daniel had every
0: reason to sort of shake his fist at heaven and go,
1: really? Have I not been through enough? This too? And the guy turns him down. Take a look. When Ashpenaz
0: refused, Daniel reasoned with the guard whom the chief of the royal eunuchs assigned to watch over Daniel. Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. <coughs> so Daniel starts at the top, and when he can't get uh, the answer that he knows is right, he goes to the guy right underneath. But I want you to notice something else. Daniel, in wisdom, changes his request. What was his quest request initially? Please don't make me eat that food. Now notice how wise Daniel is. As we read the rest of the story, he says to this guy, please do us a favor. Put us, your servants, to the test for the next 10 days. Not three years that they're going to be in this whole thing, just 10 days. So three years is is approximately 1,100 days, just short a day or two. (coughs) 10 days is a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage. Daniel says, run us a test for only 10 days. In other words, there's not a lot of risk here. And if at the end of 10 days we're not doing very well, then you can make us eat that food. So there's very little risk now. So you put us to the test, and for the next 10 days, You give us a vegetarian diet and water. And when the time is up, you can see for yourself our condition and compare it to the condition of the other young men who were eating from the king's table. You know what Daniel believes? God's going to do something. He gives God something to work with. Now see how the story unfolds. Then after you have seen what has happened, do whatever you think is best with us, your servants. So see how the 10 days go. So the guard agreed to do as Daniel requested. (coughs) He tested them on a diet of only vegetables, grains, and water for 10 days. And when the 10 days were up, he looked them over and noticed that Daniel and his friends were better off than all the young men eating from the king's table. How about that? God showed up. Wow. Reading the rest of the story. They looked healthy and well-nourished, so the guard continued to hold back their royal rations and replace them with a strictly vegetarian diet. Why did he go vegetarian? Because the Jews had no restrictions on vegetables. They could eat any vegetables. So it was just easier to say, feed us vegetables, and we don't have to worry about which foods, which meats we can eat, which ones we can't. Just give us vegetables. So now, let's go see how the story ends. Through all of this, God conferred upon these four young men superior abilities in literature, language, and wisdom. And God had given Daniel an additional gift too, the ability to interpret visions and dreams, (coughs) which becomes really important later in the story. So God was not only at work helping them appear better, God was at work actually enabling them to learn more And to actually be wiser. And let's see how this plays out. When the three-year period of training and conditioning as set by the king was over, the king sent for the candidates. And the chief of the royal eunuchs himself escorted them to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, excuse me for a minute as I kind of read between the lines. I love to jump in Ashpenaz's skin. So he's escorting different groups of people in. And when he escorts in Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, you know what he's thinking in his mind? I'm so glad I didn't give in to these guys and change their diet. He has no idea that that's been done behind his back. And he marches in with all this confidence. And look what happens. The king interviewed all of them and found that none of the candidates were any better than Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they were all assigned important places in the palace, uh, in the king's court. Now at this point, it looks like the, the, the board is pretty level, but the next verse sheds a whole new light on what took place. When the king inquired further into their grasp of wisdom, and understanding, he discovered that they were better prepared <clears throat> than all the magicians and enchanters in his empire. What do the last four words say? Even, how much? Ten times better. Life is hard, but God is at work and God is bigger. And here's how the, the story ends. This is how Daniel came to serve the royal court. A position he safely, and by the way, underscore the word safely, because in their culture, nothing was safe. We'll talk about that as we go through this. <coughs> that he safely held until the first year of King Cyrus when his Persian army conquered Babylonia. And then Daniel got to start all over again. New king, new culture, new empire. That he safely held it the whole time. Now, these four men all thrived in this huge challenge because they had this mindset. And let's take a look at it. It's on the screen right here. The heroes in our stories thrive during great challenges because they all had the same non-negotiable in their lives. And that, by the way, is the title for this teaching. It's just called Non-Negotiable. And before I read the rest of it, I just want you to know that all of us have things in our life that we consider non-negotiables. No matter what
1: comes our way, we will not negotiate that. I'll give you one of mine. 50 years
0: ago, Monica and I stood before a pastor and we said, I do. You can negotiate about anything from me that you want, and I will share it with you, but I will not share my wife with you.
1: Non negotiable. Yeah. we all have these things. There are highest
0: values. And in fact, when push comes to shove, we will actually give our lives before we will negotiate them away. Now, what were the non-negotiables in these people's lives? They had a faith built on their understanding of who God is and how life works. And we saw it right up at the front. Their understanding of who God is and how life works is wrapped up in those three statements. And here they are. Life is hard. That's how life works. Don't be surprised by that. When struggles come your way in life, that is how life works. Life in this broken world is filled with struggle. I know we don't like it, but it's the reality we live in. And there are ways to thrive in the midst of a broken world. But one of them is not to naively expect that life will not be hard. Yeah, let's not be pessimistic. Let's just be realistic. And if that was the end of the story, that would be pessimistic, right? It's life is hard, but God is at work. Wow. That adds a whole new layer. That's how life works. But look who God
1: is and god is big god is bigger god is greater this is the narrative that jesus invites us to live with you say i don't know how can i believe that well as we close i want to point us to
0: a parable jesus told one day and it's so powerful and it's so easy to understand And yet it's profound. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Now, I I don't happen to have any mustard seed with me today. But even if I did and I had it in my hand, you would have a hard time seeing it. If you go home and get your pepper shaker, okay, your pepper grinder and put it on the coarse grind, and you crack yourself some pepper, that coarse ground pepper flake is about the size of a mustard seed. And Jesus said to the people of his day who were very familiar with mustard, he said to them, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed. That's pretty small, isn't it? And then as Jesus... uh, talked, used this metaphor another time, he talked about a a power that's within that little grain of mustard. He said, mustard seeds are minute, they're tiny, but the seeds grow into trees so large that flocks of birds can come and build their nest in its branches. Now, what Jesus was trying to say to the people is, look, you have to understand that faith is like a living thing. And what we know about seeds is seeds have life in them. That's why we plant them in the ground and expect them to grow because they're like little kernels of life. And Jesus said everybody's faith starts like a tiny kernel, one of the smallest seeds of the garden seeds. Jesus said everybody's faith starts there. But inside that tiny seed of faith, there's this ability to grow a plant so big and so huge that it literally dominates the garden landscape. Listen, Jesus is saying to you and me, faith has that kind of power in your life. Even a tiny bit of it. If you will take that seed of faith and you will begin to nurture it and water it and tend it, it will grow and grow and grow and grow until eventually it becomes the context that dominates the landscape of your life.
1: It will be the non-negotiable for you. So here's the thing about growing her
0: faith. I want to teach us what faithfulness is, and I want to teach us what her role is, and then we'll close with a couple of quotes. Okay? Here's what faithfulness is. I'm sorry. Here's what our role is. Thank you. Our role, God's not going to grow your faith for you. He's put life inside your faith so that it can grow. But if you take your mustard seed and you leave it in in the garden cabinet and you never put it in the ground, what's the likelihood it's going to grow? Not very good, right? So God's given you this faith like a grain of mustard seed. It's our job to not only put that in the ground, it's our job to tend it and water it and to feed it. Because every living thing, if you feed it, it has the the potential to thrive and grow. But if you don't feed it, it will die. That's true of every living thing. You cut off its food supply, it dies. So our role then is to constantly feed our faith so that it becomes this non-negotiable foundation of our lives. How do we do that? Well, congratulations, you came to church. That's one of the ways you feed your faith. Now, if that's the only way you feed your faith, Well, don't expect it to be this plant that grows up and dominates the landscape of your life. It'll be a nice little plant in the corner that looks nice that you can show people. There are so many things you can do to feed your faith. You can take one of our growth courses. You can get involved in one of our small groups. You can go home this afternoon and you can Google search podcasts, spiritual podcasts, now you've got to have some discernment. <clears throat> but there are so many wonderful pastors all around the world. And listen, you have access to them. Give them a chance to talk into your life. There are wonderful books that you can read written by wonderful Christian authors that will challenge and grow your faith. Choose some good friends who are on a spiritual journey like you. They will help feed your faith. Read your Bible. That will help you grow your faith. I mean, there's so many things in this day
1: and age. We have so many resources. But the point is, your faith will only grow as you feed it. So I just want to encourage you today, feed your faith. Feed it daily. Feed it often.
0: Because as you feed your faith, your faith will begin to grow. And here is what faithfulness is. I got this straight out of a movie. Are you impressed? I'm sitting in the living room watching a movie with Monica and this statement comes on the movie and I'm like, I got to go write that down. And here it is. You don't have to see the whole staircase before taking the first step. By the way, if you could see the whole staircase, it wouldn't be faith. Right? That would be knowledge. You could see the end from the beginning. Faith is when you can't see the end and you still take the journey. Because you believe that the God who's called you on this journey is taking you to a place that's absolutely best
1: for you. And though the journey will not be easy, it will be good. Yeah.
0: So what's our job today? It's pretty simple. Take the next step. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe the next step for you is, oh, I'm going to make the decision to come to church every Sunday. If you haven't been doing that, that would be a great next step. Maybe the next step for you is, I'm going to enroll in one of those growth courses that we talked about that would be awesome. Maybe the next step for you in a few weeks we're going to do a small group sign up thing in our church maybe maybe the next step for you is joining a small group in our church. Maybe the next step for you is going home and and googling you know pastors who have podcasts and and signing up for that podcast and getting it delivered into your um, into where you watch podcasts every every day or every week or however often they do it. Maybe the next step for you is deciding, I'm going to read through the Bible. If you want to do that, I would suggest you go to Version. It's an app anybody can get. And there are a number, a number of Bible reading plans. Sign up for one of them and it will literally remind you every day. And instead of it reminding you, you should read your Bible, let it
1: remind you this is your way to feed your faith. I want to close with two quotes. The first is from a guy by the
0: name of Polycarp. Now you can tell he was not born recently. I shouldn't confess this to you, but I will. When I was in seminary, my friends and I used to refer to him as St. Minifish. Polycarp was a great guy. Polycarp was actually a co-worker and an associate with the Apostle John who was personally trained by Jesus. And at the end of his life, Polycarp was given the choice, either deny Jesus or we will burn you at the stake. Here was his response. Eighty and six years I have served Christ nor has He ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my King who saved me? I bless Thee for deigning me worthy of this day and this hour that I may be among Thy martyrs and drink the cup
1: of my Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Non-negotiable. You got it? Yeah.
0: No matter what you threatened Him with, That was a non-negotiable in his life. I just want to say to you, number one, I hope I don't ever have to make that choice. But if I do, I hope and pray that I will have
1: fed my faith to the point that I could say that and that I would say that.
0: There's a prophet in the Old Testament who during tough, tough, tough times was sort of forced into this position of, am I going to stay with God in spite of how terrible everything is in life? Or am I going to abandon my faith in God and blame God? Listen, before you read the quote, look up here, all right? You're all reading the quote, I know. I just I want us to be aware that when trouble comes in life, we actually end up with two choices. If we choose wrongly, it will make us bitter. If we choose rightly, it will make us better. And to some degree, we all have that choice this morning. Look at how Habakkuk responded. He said, even if the fig tree does not blossom and there are no grapes on the vines, if the olive trees fail to give fruit and the fields produce no food, if the flocks die far from the fold and there are no cattle in the stalls, I will still rejoice in the eternal. I will rejoice in the God who saves me because the eternal God is my what? My strength. My prayer for all of us today is that we would take the next step in feeding our faith and and enabling it to grow. And it starts with taking that first step, even though we don't know where the staircase may lead. Would you join me in prayer? God, what a great privilege you've given us. To jump inside the skin of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and to see that when the stakes were so high, they still had this confidence that they didn't have to give up on you and they didn't have to compromise what you had called them to. But they could remain faithful to you and believe that in spite of impossible odds that you would show up and that you would make it turn out okay for them. God, would you help us to have that kind of faith? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.